It's a huge privilege to be speaking to Colleen Saunders. She wrote a book in Speaking Power to Truth, The Authority of Prayer and Active Strategies for Change. Colleen, good morning. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Where are you based? I live in retreat in the southern suburbs of Cape Town. All right. Um, let's start off with who you are. You know, when, when we receive a book like this that's got such a lot of stake in it, I'm always curious to find out who the person is behind this. Um, tell me about Colleen Saunders, as in personality, what you do for a living, everything about you. <laughs> okay. So I am, well, my name is actually Linda Colleen. Colleen's my second name. Mm-hmm. But everyone calls me Colleen, so you're welcome to do the same. Of course, on the book, I am Linda. Um, I have just recently retired. I was working for an organization called the Warehouse Trust, which is a church-based NGO based in Cape Town, but working all over. And the work of the warehouse has been to equip and inspire churches to be change agents in the communities hmm. and to bring about God's justice in in communities. So I've been working there for the past, 20 years almost, and um, yeah, otherwise I'm living at home, I've got a dog and a cat, I love the outdoors, I'm always out in the mountains and fields and forests, walking and hiking. Your biography also mentioned that you were an educator. Yes, I taught for five years at a high school, but ever since then, my work has been community development, training, teaching also, but teaching adults, but mostly in the community development and organizational development sphere. Five years also doing rural community work as a missionary with the Anglican Mission Association. Oh, okay, because I'm trying to figure out your passion for community and specifically then social justice to be involved with change in your community. Why do you have such a passion for that? That's something that's always been part of me. I think when I grew up, my Parents sort of formed the two halves of my of my um, personality. So my mother was a Christian, well, still is, and she encouraged us always to pray, to read the Bible, to go to church. And my dad was something of a political activist, and he always kept us informed. He was a history teacher, teaching English and history, and he kept us very much informed of what was going on in the world and in South Africa. And I've always had a heart for the need for change. I've always been really, really upset and angry about what was going on in the country under apartheid and really wanted to be involved in changing. And for me, in many ways, those two parts of my heart, was I saw them as being separate because church was church, God was God. But on the other hand, there was this need to fight apartheid and get rid of it. Mm. And it was only in, as I began to explore God's heart for the world, that I realized the extent to which God himself was against injustice. And it was mainly through reading the, um, the Old Testament prophets, which I did when I, I attended a, a, a course called the World, the Change the World School of Prayer. And it's run by David Bliss, and um, I can't remember the organization that runs these schools of prayer. Because I've always had a heart for prayer. And it was at one of these schools that the, they 
encourage all the participants to have a space and a time where you pray. And they said, you've got to have a little prayer hut, which is yours to pray for. So we had a little shed or cabin in our yard, and I used to go and pray there in the afternoons. And I just simply said to God, I'm going to read the Bible, and you lead me in prayers. And God had me reading the Old Testament prophets. And some of the things I saw there were things I'd never actually heard in church, especially God's anger at injustice and unrighteousness and unfair practices and all kinds of things. And I was amazed to actually see this in the Bible because I'd never really seen it there. And for me, that was God affirming my heart to fight for justice in the country. So I grew up with a really close walk with God, a love for God, and a strong desire to bring about change in the country. So that was me growing up. I love how you refer to the prophets, because if you just read what they had to say so many times, it sounds like God sounds angry, you know, with, with yes. the, um, but God is a loving God and his passion for people, um, is not inhibited by his, his, his passion for righteousness and for justice. And that's the difference, isn't it? About, about fighting, um, the social justice done in anger and bitterness versus social justice pursued in God's love. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think also one of the things that spurred me on was um, when I heard a preacher from Soweto speaking about young people in Soweto being unwilling to accept Jesus because of what they were suffering. And I thought, but how can, how can people, how can young people be denied the joy and freedom and liberation that Jesus offers and the, the eternal life, of course, simply because of the circumstances of their lives and, and the love that Jesus has for them. And that also spurred me on to the need to, to get right what was wrong. So that not only could people live better lives, but that they didn't know Jesus and Jesus' love. So yes, absolutely the reason why um, God wants us to, to work towards justice is because he loves everyone so much. And that's always been something that one of my, one of the things that has spurred me on, yes. Yeah. Um, discussions in the halls, you know, it's always interesting when, when you speak to different kinds of people. Um, and it came up that sometimes the reason people who are angry at the past don't want to be Christians is because God expects us to forgive. And if you forgive, then they get away with everything that had happened in the past. Was this something that you were confronted with as well? Yes. Yes, it's no, that's, that's also been hard in that people think that forgiveness is saying what you did was okay. But I think even Jesus never said that. In fact, when Jesus forgave people he, or, and healed them, he always tended to say, now go and sin no more. Hmm. So in other words, part of forgiving is the acceptance that the work, the stuff that you're forgiving people for actually stops being done. But at the same time, and I say this in the book as well, forgiveness is a lot about ourselves. So as long as we hold on to past hurts, those hurts still hold power over us. But when we forgive, we, lo- we release ourselves from the power of those 
deeds over us. And in a way, we keep ourselves bound when we live in unforgiveness. And when we forgive people, we loosen our own chains. So, yeah. yeah, I can imagine. So how has the way that you fight and the way that you take action, how has that changed from the past to now after a lot of prayer and after a lot of time in God's presence? How do you practically do things differently now? Hmm. I don't think I, I think the main, the main change now is that I do a lot more teaching mm-hmm. and um. Yeah, I can't actually think how how things how it's changed, but teaching, writing, sharing, and there's a lot of a lot. I think one of the one of the things I've been doing a lot more recently than what I did in the past is looking looking at how how the Bible is so contextual. We that's a way out. We do something called contextual Bible study, and that just shows how. The Bible now, even though the Bible was written so many years ago, so many of the contexts are the same because people haven't changed and mm. the things people do hasn't changed. And that if we look at in Jesus' day, who were the poor, who were the oppressed, who were the authorities, um, and you look at this at now, and how did Jesus, who did Jesus spend most of his time with? And it was with the poor and, and the outcasts. And if you look at things like, um, so what we do with contextual Bible study is take a Bible story, look at the context then, and compare it to the context now. So, for example, one of my favorite stories is the story of the woman who was bleeding. And a lot of people see that as purely a story of healing. So she touched Jesus' robe, and he healed her, and she was fine. But if you look at the context of that day, Women in those days couldn't speak out in public. A woman who had her monthly period was unclean. Mm. Anybody who touched her became unclean. And um, a man, of course, and especially a rabbi, would be unclean if he touched her. And a rabbi wouldn't speak to a woman in that condition, especially not out in the street. So here came Jesus, and this woman touched him secretly, hoping to remain secret, but he called her out. And he said to her, who touched me? So he got her to speak in public. And then he said, um, the fact that he had said, you touched me, showed himself as being unclean. So he was willing to be shown as unclean in public. And in just that little incident, he broke about 14 rules. (laughs) And and he, he returned that woman to full social status. So not only had she been isolated from her community, but she was also isolated from worship. So in his restoring her, he was she could once again be a normal person in society. She could come and worship with her family and the believers. She could even get a job if she wanted to. So he just restored so many things. And then if we're doing a Bible study like this with young people, we'd ask them, what are the things in our society which keep people realizing their potential, their fullness, their worth, in God's eyes, the ability to be accepted in worship, and so on and so on. Hmm. So I love doing that kind of thing because um, it helps people to see that the Bible is so relevant and that um, they can therefore stand in what God has given them and not just 
fight for their rights as human beings. So I'm, I'm much more I'm much more confident in bringing together um, the gospel and social justice. Mm. I, I like that obviously gives you and especially when you write a book, it gives you the opportunity to share what you've learned um, because of the change in your own heart. But what many times what happens is when you spend time in the word and you spend time in God's presence. So God changes your heart. But people around you doesn't necessarily um, experience the same change you do and then you come with this message of yours to say that the the thing that happens is is very necessary for us to be able to address the social injustices god's way are people open for this message especially when what you have to say is not always easy yes some some people are open and some not and mm, that's I think one has to be very much led by the Holy Spirit in terms of what to raise and how to address what at what time. And that, that, is, that is a challenge because you have to be alert at all times. But yeah, some people are very open, some not. Um, I think at the moment, a lot of churches are open because they're asking questions. They're asking, what can we do and how can we be involved? And we see that things aren't really changing. What what can we do? So there is an openness now to wanting to change. But of course, there are lots of people who are not open. And one has to just pray that God would provide openings and that you could see that and, and see how to bring the message that, that you have. So after many years of being a free country, uh, where, where apartheid is something that happened in a previous era, but the consequences is still alive in our lives today, what are the challenges in your community that, that you still want to address that you feel we need to be actively involved in as a church? I think one of the biggest challenges now still is the gap between rich and poor. And... In many ways, the sense of the rich that they're entitled to what they have mm. and the inability to recognize that what they have, even though even though many many people say, I worked for what I have, I fought for what I have, my parents worked for what I have, um, so, so much of that is as a result of unfair privileges. And so one of the changes I would like to see is that people who are wealthy would be much more generous, but also much more looking at ways on how they can build up those who are not wealthy. I think just one example in our community is um, something as simple as putting out your rubbish. So people are always complaining about the bin pickers who come and scratch through our bins and mess the messing all over the street. And, and that does happen. But a simple way of alleviating that would be sorting out your rubbish into what is recyclable, washing it, putting it in separate boxes on top of your bin, so that people who come can can take the plastics or the tins or the cardboards that they need and just take it without having to scratch through bins. And if you do see people scratching through bins, go out and speak to them and say, excuse me, would you mind, once you finish sorting, would you mind um, putting it back in the bin? And people do, they do listen to that. I once found some people scratching through the bin, and I said to them, um, there's nothing left in the bin. It's just it's just rubbish, and all the recyclables have been taken already, so would you mind not scratching? And then this guy said to me, 
I'm not looking for recycling. I'm looking for food. Oy. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, but I don't, I haven't put any food in the bin. And then he said, the bones that you wrap in newspaper and keep in your freezer and then put in the bin and bin day, that's what I'm looking for because I want to make soup for my family. And that really struck me. So um, I wouldn't want people scratching for bones because it's not healthy. But I now also put out, so, so fat, for instance, fat from food that I make, I'll put that out in little containers, marked fat for cooking out, and I'll ask, would you like some fat? So what this has brought me is engage more with people and ask them what they need and try to use, try to give what I don't need to people who do need it. And you'd be surprised at what people are needing and wanting and asking for. Sure, so, sure. Mm, so, it's, so it's a challenge. And this this kind of thing needs you to engage as you see people as people, mm. which a lot of people who have don't do. They see those who don't have as, as an irritation to their comfort. And so I'm trying to challenge people on this way of thinking. Sure. He's the God who sees me. We want God to see yeah. us. But if we can see others and respect others, it'll already make a difference. Yes, yes. If people want to follow you, social media, all of those places, where do they go to? Oh, um, <laughs> I don't have my own following. But so you do have this book. So how do people get hold of that? Okay, so the, you can get the book through the warehouse. In fact, following the warehouse would be a good way of following where I've come from. So the warehouse... Trust is the organization that I've been working with. Okay. And the website is www.warehouse.org.za. And you can order the book through the warehouse. They also have a newsletter which gets sent out every now and again. And then the book is published through the Christian Literature Fund. And one can order the book through there, chop.clf. .co.za and um, otherwise it's at several bookshops. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> the book's name is In Speaking Power to Truth, The Authority of Prayer and Active Strategies for Change. Um, warehouse.org.za or go look for the Christian Literature Fund or just Google a book and Colleen Saunders and you'll be able to get hold of it. Thank you, Colleen. And may the work that you do bear fruit in extreme, much fruit. May people learn to respect and love one another. Thank you, Janine. Thanks so much.